When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to the Superman Super Show, episode number 22, Superman Champions Universal Peace. Hello and welcome to an all new episode of the Superman Super Show. I'm a host. My name is Steven. And a thousand miles over there to my right is another host, Mr. Ed Moore. Howdy. This is Ed. And as Hi, you Ed. can see, that's We're kinda, not Ed. That's it not Ed, right? right. Here, not yeah. Ed. So, yeah. That's right. We're kind of we're kind of blowing through the uh, the banter portion of these episodes so we can try to fit as many episodes in in a recording night. So we're just going to I'm just going to keep moving on and tell you folks that today we're looking at a little story called Superman Champions Universal Peace, which is one of three stories that appear in Superman issue number two, written by Jerry Siegel, pencils by Joe Schuster, inks by Paul Cassidy. Superman number two was, of course, published by DC Comics. It has a cover date of September 1939 and an approximate on-sale date of August 22nd, 1939, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Now, I will say... I noticed that when uh, I go to like dcfandom.com to get the synopsis for these stories, um, that's where that cover date comes from. But if you, if you look at the cover, there, there's no, there's no cover date. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. There's no date on the cover. And in fact, Mike's amazing world of comics shows the cover date just as fall 1939. Mm-hmm. So what's the deal there? Dcfandom.com is that, you know, mm-hmm. who knows? Who knows? Yep. <laughs> You have to track who who put the information there and where they got their information. Speaking of information, I have information that says that this story is a reprint of newspaper strips that were published from May 1st, 1939 through June 10th, 1939. Some good info. So if that's true or not, I don't know. My question would be, why would they lie? Right. And and this the these dates for the new strips I got off of the uh, entries on uh, the Grand Comic Book Database okay. for Superman issue two, which had a number issue two. Remember the first issue did not. Yeah, it just said Superman. No, just so they're like we did so well with that one. We're going to make an issue two. Exactly. That's so. That's that's how I feel. Uh, that came about that they. When they did the first one, they just planned on here. We're just going to put this out because everybody's enjoying the strips and they may not know that we have these stories going on in Action Comics. So we're going to put something out there for for people to buy, you know, because we want to make more money. And then it, it probably, yeah, did so well that they said, well, let's do another one of these in the fall. Yep. 
All right. Well, let me tell you what happened here in this story. Clark Kent is sent to interview Professor Runyon about a new type of gas he's discovered, one so deadly it can seep right through a gas mask. <clears throat> and that's a gasp, not know, gas. Right? So, yeah. <clears throat> and that's a cough. Yeah. <laughs> My throat is just clogging up. It's the gas. <clears throat> yeah, it is, man. The gas. Runyon gives Clark a demonstration of the effects by exposing a monkey wearing a gas mask to the deadly toxin. And I, I'm going inter- to interject here and say that that scene started out as adorable and ended horrifically. The monkey had a name. I know. It's like, they oh, look at the monkey. Name. And, oh, it's got a gas mask on. Oh, Please oh tell me goodness. they're not going to kill this monkey. And yeah, they're just very not. Oh, so the monkey died. Yes, it did. <laughs> that was quite, quite shocking. Um, I was clutching at my pearls. Yes, indeed. All right. So the gas immediately kills the test subject, impressing Clark. <laughs> Uh, during the interview, some thugs suddenly burst into the lab. Clark is pushed out of the room, but his super hearing picks up what is being said. The Roughnecks leader, Bartow, demands Runyon to hand over his formula for the gas, but the professor refuses. He won't let them sell it to foreign powers. Bartow gives him 24 hours to reconsider or else. When they leave, Kent hails a taxi and follows their car out of the city to a small farm home sitting next to an airfield. He takes note of this location for later. Back at the Daily Star, Clark types up his interview with Runyon quickly so he can get back to Bartow and his men. George, the editor, informs him about a call he just received. Professor Runyon was found dead in his home. Later in his apartment, Clark changes to Superman and returns to the farm home just in time to catch Bartow and his partners leaving on a plane. The plane was flying high over the country of Baravia. How did, how, how would you pronounce that? Uh, Baravia. Baravia, Baravia. Baravia, yeah. So the plane was flying high over the country of Baravia, a land currently troubled by civil war. Superman tears a hole in the plane's roof and drops in. Bartow grabs a parachute and jumps out, hoping to get away. <laughs> Superman drops out of the plane and grabs hold of Bartow in midair, threatening to cut the chute to pieces if he doesn't give him the formula. After leaning on him a little more, Superman finally gets the name of the buyer, Lubain. A party of Baravian soldiers find Superman and take him into custody, only to discover their bullets and bayonets are useless against his hard-as-granite skin. Growing bored of the soldiers' attempts to kill him, Superman takes off. Before searching for Bartow and Lubain, he takes the time to destroy the weapons and munitions being used in the war. The warring armies are helpless to stop him. Good Lord, this is a long synopsis. I keep getting the long freaking synopsis. This is a long one, yeah. This is a long one. Lubain's hideout isn't too hard to find. Superman catches sight of Bartow's car and follows him. He crashes through the roof, demanding Lubain give up the formula. But Lubain's scientist has already concocted a batch of the sinister gas. He holds up the vial for Superman to see, threatening to drop it and kill them both if he doesn't go away. Superman steps forward and Lubain, startled, accidentally lets the vial drop. The gas seeps up and into Lubain's lungs. In his dying breath, he wonders why Superman wouldn't die. The Man of Steel replies that his super physique means the gas has no effect on him. The formula was in hand, but Superman wasn't done yet. 
he rushed to Baravia's government building where negotiations between representatives of the two warring factions were currently underway. However, neither side would agree to budge on their outrageous demands for peace, and so the meeting was to be adjourned. Superman bursts in then, shouting that the talks must continue. The representatives argue that it it was impossible, so Superman begins to smash the pillars around the room. He begins... (laughs) The building starts to tremble, as each pillar turns to rubble. He grabs hold of the remaining support pillar, threatening to collapse the structure on top of them unless they reconsider their terms. Admitting to each other that their demands were far-fetched, the two representatives finally each sign the peace treaty. Returning home to Metropolis, Clark Kent is given a warm reception by his Daily Star co-workers for such an outstanding story. Bartow and his gang are arrested, and Clark secretly tears the formula to shreds, believing the gas is just too deadly to exist. Good Lord, that was a lot of synopsis. What'd you think? That's a long one. Um, I enjoyed the first story more than this one, but (laughs) this one I enjoyed more than a lot of the recent action stories. So it's, you know, it it was kind of a a balanced, yeah, it was was okay. I, I didn't, I wasn't disappointed in having read it. You know, I, I didn't feel that it wasted my time. You know, they, the golden age is just very different. <laughs> and yes. you, you, you need to acknowledge that. I think, well, here, I'll, I'll rephrase that. I have to acknowledge that in order to be able to read these stories and, and get anything resembling enjoyment out of them. Um, I read all three of these back to back. So I, I think that's pretty good because that's like, 40 some pages of golden yeah. age books and, and they're, they're different. They're, they're different. Um, but yeah, I like this. I, I, it, it didn't have the champ, not champagning. It, it didn't have the, the feel that a lot of the action stories have that there was something that got in Siegel's crawl and he wanted to write about it. Yep. None of these stories, this one as well, really had that feeling to me. All three of these in the eponymously named Superman book, which we know are reprints of the newspaper strips, seem to be more stories for story's sake. Yeah. Now, of course, you have to have a point, you know, and and if you can get a moral into those and, you know, um, heck, 1939, you know, they're watching all of this stuff going on over in Europe. So a war. Not necessarily a civil war, but war is is very prominent. Um, yeah. A civil war, I guess, would separate it from what was going on in real life. You know, so yeah. they chose a civil war um, by the name of the country. I I assumed this was a uh, Eastern European yep. country. Agree, Moravia. I mean, it just you know it it just has that sound to it. Uh, modern, you can see the, the implements being used. It's a modern war. So obviously it's taking place now. Um, I I hate, uh, let's see, what, what was the name? Ambrose. Ambrose was the name of that poor little monkey. Yeah. They gave it a name and and then they killed it. Wow. I mean, you know, they're, they're not detached and just saying, you know, this, uh, this, monkey for experiments or, or this this creature or not no it's a cute cutely drawn little monkey they gave it a name and then they i was like yeah. oh okay and and this is not even he's not even the bad guy 
no. you know, no. yeah, he, he's just scientists that, you know, came up with um, and, and throughout the, the strip, you know, he gives his own reasoning as to what his thinking was and how it would be used and why first he says he won't. Well, he says he won't give it to a foreign power. Right. Uh, but he will give it to his military, yep. provided they use it in a certain way. So, right. you know, in a defensible uh, war, in a defense war. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, uh, which all wars are right there. Somebody is on the defensive. So yeah. it's yeah. Um, but that th- probably the, the you know, the fact that you're dealing with a deadly, you know, we'll, we'll say mustard like gas, which it's my understanding that at the end of World War One, that was outlawed. So that was what? 20 years ago from when this was written and he's writing a story about a dude making a deadly gas, which I would assume is supposed to be illegal. Uh, You're not, you know, the government does what the government does, but as a civilian, you're not, I wouldn't think allowed to do stuff like that right now. Yeah. But you know, he, he, he makes it. And on top of that, the fact this one page here, the little guy laying in the bell jar that he, he looks asleep. I, I mean, mean I they would, do, wow. When I, when I, okay. So when I got to that point in the book, yeah. Permit me to introduce Ambrose. Say, what is this? A gag? It's this, yeah, it's just, just this adorable little monkey. And then he's in the bell jar with a gas mask on and he's pumping in an ordinary gas, which as you can see, Ambrose is unaffected. And Ambrose, even though he's got the gas mask on, he's hopping up and down. He just seems right. so happy. Yeah, it's just and then the the whole time I, I, as I'm reading this, I'm getting to this point. I'm like, OK, they haven't specifically I don't think they had specifically said at this point that the gas actually kills just that it's powerful. So I'm thinking, OK, maybe it's a sleep gas, right? Maybe that's and then no, <laughs> he's dead. He's dead. And yeah, <laughs> he, he does. He looks like he's just sleeping. But no. Yeah, that that, that was all kind of. Okay, in in modern parlance, that was all kind of triggering. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's like wow. it really was cuz I, I in my mind I'm going no. No, don't do that. Don't do that. And no, they did it. Oh my gosh, you know. Wow, yeah. And and like I said, that's that is he is not even the bad guy. That's not yeah. So, so if the good guys are willing to do that, that tells you how bad the bad guys really are. Well, they didn't give so, a crap about monkeys back then. Uh, yeah, I know. You know? Here before too long, they're going to start shooting them off into space. And yeah, exactly. Monkey, monkeys were there to uh, help us make a better future. Yeah. Right. As the monkeys, it, m- monkeys were there because you couldn't use human beings yeah. yet. And if, to make a better future, that means that we have to invent a kind of gas that can seep through gas masks and kill any invading army because it's only for a defensible war. Exactly. Right. Then, yeah. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I didn't, I, I, I've, I think I'm in the same boat that you are. I didn't like this as much as the first one, but I did, I did rather like it. Um, like the first one in issue number two, this also has a almost a familiar, um, it feels like one of the early uh, action comic stories just simply because of the moment. Well, first of all, we had the war in San Monte. That was kind of a civil mm-hmm. war. Mm-hmm. And we had the moment in that where Superman saves Lois from the firing squad. And we have right. a firing squad in this one. And then we have Superman forcing the military leaders 
in the war in San Monte to come up with the peace treaty. And he does that here as well, which I, I don't think a, a peace treaty is going to last very long if it's not something that they really agree on. It's just something if, they're being forced to do. I if think. it's coerced. Yeah, yeah I'm not I sure think, a, a coerced peace treaty is going to do well. I, yeah, I have a feeling a month after Superman left, they were they were just right back to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also got rather tired of reading the name of the the group of criminals that are selling this gas, the International Armament Racketeers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I I don't know what you'd call them nowadays. I, I it's on the tip of my tongue, but. Armament racketeers, they kept referring to them as throughout this, this story. And I was like, that's a, that's a mouthful. Just the armament racketeers. They would be called what? Uh, just weapons dealers, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Munitions dealers, weapons yeah. dealers, what, whatever they called Nicolas Cage in, uh, the movie, what was it? War? Yeah. I didn't see that one. Is that the movie where he was the internationally famous, uh, weapons dealer? Armament racketeer. Yeah. Um, also, um, <laughs> which struck me as just curious, uh, after he's captured and, and they're finding out, well, first their bullets won't work. Right. So what does the one soldier do? Because he <laughs> thinks they're shooting blanks. He shoots himself in the foot. <laughs> really? And he says, ouch, my foot. Yeah. <laughs> like, hmm, we must be shooting blanks. Let me try by shooting myself in the foot and see what happens. Oh, wow. That whole yeah. scene. If you if you ever watch Monty Python's Flying Circus, there there's an episode called The Cycling Tour. And it's one of the few episodes that kind of has a continuing narrative. It tells one story throughout the entire episode. And it's about a guy uh, who goes on a, a cycling tour of North Cornwall on his on his bicycle and somehow ends up in Russia. I'm not going to get into all that, but he's in <laughs> Russia and he's captured for espionage and they're they're they throw him against the wall and they're going to they're going to shoot him in a firing squad and they they do the countdown and they fire and they all fire their guns and you don't they the, the camera doesn't let you see Mr. Pither against the wall you just see the right. firing squad and they're all right. like blam John Cleese is the is the leader of the firing squad and he just he looks off camera to where Mr. Pither is and he looks back at them and he goes I can't believe you missed and so they have to drag him back to his cell so that the guys can practice some more. And they bring him back to try to shoot him again. And they miss again. They find out they're 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 looking down the wrong bit on the site when they're firing. And that just okay. just made me this reminded me of that sketch for some reason, because they they're shooting at him and they assume that they're missing They're You know, the right. whole firing squad shooting at one man and they they've all missed. And then, of course, the one guy thinks he's firing blank so he shoots himself in the foot i mean that that could have t- taken place in a, in a in a monty python oh yeah yeah easily well how do i know i'm not shooting blanks yeah <laughs> uh, but hey at least he probably got to sit out the rest of the war i uh, yeah i would think you know? so it's one of those million dollar wounds if there's anything of his foot left and they were able to save any of it in yeah. 1939 i'm not sure what the chances of that were going to be but you hear about those guys on the front line shooting themselves in the foot so they can get off that front line that's that's when you've reached a desperate point and another scene here that wasn't mentioned in the uh, in the summary uh where where he attacks the dirigible oh yeah which which is a word you don't hear uh very often nowadays dirigible 
but he's the, blend, um, the zeppelin. He's he's jumping around with bombs, bombing yes. one side. Uh, we don't know what side it is. Uh, taking out the munitions factories so that they he, will will stop I, making the bombs. I believe he was taking the side of the rebels. Okay, only because when he's captured, they refer to capturing one of the rebels. Okay. So as we all know, the rebels are always the good guys. Yes. So, but well, yeah, that, well, I they, mean, that they was, were in our history. So, I mean, yeah, that's know, right. That's why right. Not? <laughs> but yeah, that was that, just some epic stuff where, you know, they, they almost called it uh, this battle between him and the dirigible in the air. And, and then, yeah, him collecting all the bombs and jumping around and dropping so, them on the munitions factory and just, just kicking butt, you know, Superman's just taking names, kicking butt and taking names. And, and uh, something else they, they didn't mention in the summary, uh, despite the fact that it being so incredibly long, when he boards the plane, the Bartow, I can't believe Superman fell for it. First of all, Bartow's like, all right, I'll give you the formula. I got to go get it, though. Yeah, it's over here. Would right? you fly the plane <laughs> while I go get it? And Superman's like, sure, I'll fly the, fly the plane. And I'm here, like, seriously, Superman, go, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, then, and then the guy shoots up the controls and then leaps out of the plane. And uh, Superman, again, just the just the badass that he is. He's like, I'm just going to follow him right out. The yeah, plane. really. You he know? just jumps out. Yeah. And, and you know, at at the height that they're at, I'm like, will he get hurt? If he yeah. I mean, just, he's fallen you know? from a building. Yeah. But, but this yeah, is from a few thousand a feet in the air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Superman don't care. He's just like, I'm just no, pissed me he off. Does I'm going the, after him jump out of the plane with no parachute and grabs the dude with the parachute, which we've yeah. seen in movies yeah. nowadays yeah. several times. They that's, you know, I, I read that and I'm like, that's where they, that's where they got that in point in point break. Yep. <laughs> All know? the way back in 1939, yep. it first showed up. Yeah. Keanu Reeves is like, I want to do like Superman in issue number two of Superman and jump out of the plane. And yeah, that's, that's, I believe that in every fiber of my being. But if, if he had pers uh, participated in World War II, this is the kind of stuff we would have expected Superman to do. Yeah. That's why World War II wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. So Yeah, that yeah. was always a, a tricky thing with comics, writing comics during that time period is, yep. is you know, I know certain books uh, would like there was the, the, I think it was a DC book. Well, I think it was New Frontier. Um, Hitler had the Spear of Destiny, which yeah, would, the, the heroes wouldn't participate in the war as long as that threat, you know, is like the you drop your bombs, we'll drop our bombs. Nobody's gonna, so nobody's going to drop their bombs. Yeah. Well, that's fine because I believe the way that that was supposed to work was that they they fell under the sway of of Hitler if they got yeah. too close. Yep. But what kept Hitler's supermensch? From coming over here and just pooping all over our stuff. Yeah, I never yeah. heard how yeah. how we did that or how he kept them from doing that or whatever. Just mm -hmm. how he kept Superman and the Flash and, and you know, the, these people from doing anything over there. Yep. Except the non-powered people. Now, of course, they were able to go oh, yeah. and they were able to fight conventional. Yep. Cause, yeah, because they're not going to. No. They're, yeah. They're they, not they going to be shot the and of bleed. The war, yeah. And, yeah. Just like. Uh, Captain America, although yeah. he's he's kind of right on the line of being too much. Yeah. But but yeah, yeah. So it's um, sitting here thinking about that. Yeah, I'm always like, well, I know that there were super powered people for the Axis. Yeah. Why they did, would, they, why did yeah. they never come down to 
England, uh, to at, France, to the U.S. Yeah, at the most, it's like they were involved in espionage. You know, or, it's like or one of, one, yeah, one of our superheroes that have to fight them because they've you know broken into a government building to steal the military secrets or something. You know, right? Yeah, they're not they're not there to to enslave all of our people. You know, so so if anybody out there listening now or who listens to this podcast knows. What kept the Axis supermensch from attacking our side of the lines and yep. winning the war in that way? I, I've never heard or read. I'd, I'd be curious if that was ever addressed. Yep. Okay. So, uh, either way, Superman is not in World War II. He yep. is in uh, the Civil War of Moravia, the second civil war he has involved himself in also. Yeah. I just um, I, I find it interesting that the they're doing these newspaper strips that – while they're not copies, you know, they're not just rewriting stories that they that they've done elsewhere. Right. But there's some of the themes are are, are are the same. You know, we got Superman helping a sports figure um, by becoming that sports figure. We've got now right. Superman in the middle of a civil war and forcing uh, a treaty. You know, yep. I don't I don't remember if the third story made the, me think uh, of any action comic stuff, but. We'll get to that in the next episode. Yep. All right. Speaking anything of which, else? Uh, no, no, I, I think that's okay. uh, everything that comes to mind for this one. All right. Then I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the Superman Super Show. If you want to drop us a line, ask us a question, or just provide feedback in general, you can send an email to the Superman Super Show at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter over at, at Soups Super Show or come join the forum over at forum.justanotherfanboy.com the links for all of those will be in the show notes and you know if you've been listening this long you know that we love the feedback and we will dedicate entire episodes to your feedback so if that doesn't give you any encouragement then uh, I don't think my wallet's around here uh, it's filled full of mobs anyway anyway that's all we got folks until next week I'm Steven that's Ed and this was the Superman Super Show. Bye. Ciao. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Uh, Chris is giving the devil fingers, I think there is what that is. Two horns up for rock and roll. Uh, Doug likes the musical interlude. Thank you, Doug. I, I've been working on that. I, I'm trying to help Stephen. He had a particular song going through his head, and I was trying to... Uh, insert a different, uh, you know, ditty, as they say. Yeah, appreciate that.